Hi there, I'm Daniel Eccles, and this is the Learned Opportunity Podcast. This podcast is for emerging leaders, those folks who are building their platforms, sharpening their skills, and dreaming for the future. Join me as I help emerging leaders like you get unstuck so that you can start creating huge opportunities in your personal and professional life. I talk to some of the best leaders out there about how they've created opportunities in their own lives, share my opportunity creating best practices from my experience as a certified career counselor and personal and professional development nerd, and I'll also chat with other emerging leaders about opportunity creating repeatable actions that you can apply to your life today. We're ready, so let's get started with Learned Opportunity. The Learned Opportunity Podcast has been just a lot of fun over the past two years. Two years. Can you believe that? Two years. With over 2,500 listens and hundreds of loyal listeners, I'm really just having a great time. However, I'm on a mission to improve this podcast and make sure that it provides the most value to emerging leaders like you. And the only way I can do that is with your help. So please... In the show notes, take just two minutes to complete our podcast listener survey so I can learn more about you and your needs. With your feedback, I can create content that helps you reach your personal and professional goals. So don't miss out on this opportunity to have your voice heard and make an impact on the future of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We're continuing our Emerging Leader Series with a friend of mine. His name is Grant Moore. He was a student out at George Fox University when I was working as a grad assistant in the Office of Career Development. He was a student worker who is impressively a strengths finder guru. He knows a lot about strengths, but why I wanted to have him here on this Emerging Leader Series is he's a great story of how he transitioned from college, gaining as much experience as he could in college, to career, to also building a passion project that I think at the very end of this episode, you're going to be like, whoa, that was a curveball. Oh man, that's actually a pun. Wait till the end of the episode. You'll you'll figure out that that was a pun that I accidentally just said. But it's kind of a curveball of a passion project after listening to him talk about his career journey and how you might find some opportunities by emulating some of the things that Grant has done and focusing in on your strengths instead of your weaknesses. So let's chat with my friend Grant Moore. Here we go. Grant Moore. Hey, how is it going, bud? Like, it is good to see you. Like always, I've had the fortune of getting to see you a little bit more these days than for a little bit. We were on mm-hmm. the opposite end of the country, so it's just good to talk to you. We're doing kind of a, a series here on Learned Opportunity. We're not just talking to people who have already gone through all these things of emerging leadership, who have gotten unstuck and have created opportunities, but we are talking to emerging leaders who are doing that and actively learning about creating opportunities themselves, and that's where you come in. I would call you an emerging leader. 
leader. I don't know if you would call yourself that. Maybe not in all of your humility, but that is what we're kind of going to be talking about. I think will be helpful for other emerging leaders who are just trying to do this thing called life and figure out how to create more opportunities for their own personal and professional life to, to hear from someone who is also doing that and who I think is doing that pretty well. So that's a little bit about what today is, but why don't you go ahead and tell listeners about who you are and what's actually important for them to know about Grant? Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Daniel, for having me on. Like you said, we've known each other back since our time together at George Fox University outside of Portland, Oregon. And now we're both Midwesterners. I'm I'm a transplant. You're a native. Yes. So, yes whereas yes. before I was the native PNWer and you were the transplant. So we uh, we exchanged that. So yeah, my name is Grant. I am I, I live in a small town called Hillsdale, Michigan. It's the border county that meets all three states, Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. I love to tell people that I'm from the tri-state area. It makes it sound <laughs> like it's a whole lot more than it is because it sure ain't a lot. So yeah, we're the county seat. It's a good life here. It's a slower pace from what I was more used to growing up on the West Coast, but that's I'm, I'm pleasantly culture shocked. Usually culture shock is a negative connotation, but I found that to be the opposite in my case. I live, I still live, you know, with my, my family at home. I'm 23. I'm, I have worked remotely in a HR role for a trucking company, a national trucking company, the Yellow Corporation. Our company name is Yellow, but our logo is orange. <laughs> so do with that what you will. Fun fact, the reason why that is, is because that's the safest color on the road. Oh, so I, I guess we just go. didn't want to change the name, no. you know, to I orange. guess, I guess it just stuck. But anyway, I focus on retention efforts for our employees in the field. So drivers, dock workers, operations, supervisors, et cetera. I've been in the role for eight months, but I've had a history with the company as far back as 2018. I interned for this company. Well, one of the companies it owns, it owns four separate trucking companies in the nation, but they're all morphing together this year to be more competitive and to save money, to be a super regional carrier. Other companies have done that and they've done well. And so we needed, we thought we should do that too and run with the pack in that way. So I, in between my semesters at George Fox, I interned in their recruiting office in the Portland area and I got called back a few years later. My same boss in Portland had moved up since then to the corporate level in the company and relocated to Kansas City, Missouri. And I actually just came back from Kansas City, Missouri. I was out there for a week doing some in-person work meetings with my boss and other people. So that was fun. The remote life is really not one that is ideal. Mm. I mean, for, mo for most people, they would probably say that i mean people have people are better at remote some others are not as good at it or they just don't like it as much depends. i'm say that again yeah it really depends like i am a full-time remote right now and i i see so myself gwen, right yeah and gwen my wife gwendolyn is as well um but even even then, I see myself somewhat missing going in. But that's more my personality. I I like to feel like I'm a part of something. Yeah, and kind of feed off of the energy of what's everybody else working on. What are you excited about? And those sort of things. Is that has it been the case for you, or is that? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been the case for me. I mean, COVID hit 
the end of my junior year of college. So I had one more year of school and luckily our university elected to go for more of a hybrid option. I know not all schools did that. Some were completely remote, even still a year after COVID. So I was thankful we had a slightly better situation, but going into the workforce, it's been all remote, man. I mean, mine is a more hybrid situation now, but this wasn't my first job out of Mm. college. And I've been out for a year and a half now, but I was in a sales job for a different company for about nine months. The blessing of working remotely meant that I could move back to Michigan and be with my family. But the curse was that I never met any of my coworkers in person ever, not even once. Mm-hmm. Who knows if I ever will. So now, what is it about that that might bother you or is difficult? Because I mean, I'm sure there's pluses and minuses to, to all of this too. Yeah. I mean, the trade-off, I'm, I'm young, I'm, I'm single. I, I am more adaptable now than I probably will be ever in the future. Right. So I kind of, and trying to see this in a more mature light of, well, I could, I, I, I can deal with this for a little bit. At the same time, I mean, I get most of my news from LinkedIn these days. You know, you see these articles, <laughs> <laughs> you see these articles come out about how like people who work remote versus people who go in person. Literally, sometimes it's the difference between getting more experience that would lead to promotions later on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so there, then there becomes this like upward mobility discrepancy. So as a young professional, it can be easy for me to see that and kind of get afraid, be like, Oh, like, do I need to overcompensate? Like, do am I getting the same feedback about my, the value that I'm bringing to work in my current remote status as opposed to being in person? How do I know that what I'm doing is providing that value when I'm not getting the nonverbal from my boss and my coworkers and I'm not having some cases, the verbal, Oh, and um, even that, then sometimes it's it's just over chat and you're trying to interpret chat as in the tone, it can get really difficult and it's easy to start feeling anxious about, um, oh, they only, they only chat me when something's wrong or. <laughs> right. Yeah. Microsoft Teams is funny, man. Like some people, when you're on a call, they use the chat all the time. That was what it was like in my sales job. Now I'm in my HR job. And when you're on a call when Teams. It's not, it, it, it's kind of the unwritten rule to not use the chat. Mm. So I learned that the hard way coming in my first month, actually, they're like, don't use the chat in the call. That was, that was just one person. And and that was, that was kind of a unique situation, but working out those workplace politics things is harder from a remote status too. Mm. And I mean, workplace politics is harder when the communication barriers of technology are in place. And so you're almost less incentivized to want to maybe address an issue that you probably would have had no problem dealing with in the office because it just meant a walk down the hall. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and you can compensate for the nonverbal of letting people know like, Hey, this isn't a big deal. I just wanted to politely bring this up with you and nip it in the butt. But again, yeah, that's, that's the issue. So more than ever, I think people my age really got to get this down and 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 learn this at an oddly concentrated in their jobs. I mean, and I, it's a very yeah. unique thing. I don't really know how many other generations, if any, have ever right. needed to figure this thing out. Like emerging leaders are needing to figure it out right now. And it really is a case by case basis. I'm 
less inclined towards remote work, I think, than my wife is. Gwen Mm -hmm. is probably better off working remote full-time and going in maybe once a month sort of thing. I just, I want to feed off of people. I want to be, you know, at the desk, you know, asking people what they're working on and, you know, yeah, all those sort of things. But there are a lot of things I really enjoy about remote work too. And so it's really figuring out uh, where the opportunity lies for each person individually. What is it that you value? What is it that you need? Knowing your strengths, knowing your skills, knowing just what you want. And that is really difficult to learn. But Mm -hmm. once you learn those things, then you can start doing something about it. You can start helping yourself. So you and I, we might know this about ourselves that we are more inclined to, to need to feed off of energy for other people. So you and I can do something about it. Now we can get that in, in other ways. We can do a podcast episode. <laughs> we can right. you know, chat with other people that are working at other places on LinkedIn. We can meet for networking coffees. There are things that we can do to, to scratch that itch outside of our actual workplace or what the, the usual rhythms are in that workplace. But we won't know how to do that until we've figured out what it is that we want and need. How have you gone about figuring out that this is something that you need or that you are more inclined towards? It usually has to do with what the, my job requires of me. Okay. It almost, it that that's the main factor that decides whether it's something I need as a part of my job or whether it's something I would prefer. One of the reasons I took this job, other than the fact that it's the same boss I had before and I liked him and there was upward mobility chances with this industry versus the other one, the work situation would be more hybrid, actually. there is a, We have like 300 some terminals across the country that you know our trucks go in and out of different sizes different shapes there's one about 40 minutes from my house so three days a week i will go and just work there mm-hmm. even though i don't work for or with anybody at that terminal because everyone i work with is on the corporate level and we're all using you know teams to communicate i don't really do anything in terms of my day-to-day job duties at the terminal but it's given me a chance to occasionally stop by the terminal manager's office and just say, Hey, what's it like running the terminal today? And to get a better idea of what do we actually do in the field? What do we do on the dock? You know, I, I wear a reflective vest when I walk in that building. And some days that feels more like me going to work than just logging on to teams from my living room. So right, right, um, right. the things that I need for my job are structure, consistent workload, Feedback on my work. Um, Opportunities to learn about other parts of the company so that I could become a more valuable asset to do my job better and to help other people do their job better. Mm -hmm. So the degree to which I can do all those things with remote work, hopefully I can meet those benchmarks in a way that's not sacrificing as much time or or other other barriers right right i I guess grant like how do though did you end up where you're at that you decided okay yellow is going to be a good fit for me because there's i mean straight out of college to be already employed within a place and to be figuring out like 
not only what you need, but also like what you want and moving those pieces around. That's not the typical story in my mind. I can think of a lot of other. <laughs> what is George- the typical story? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. I, I just feel like I, I can think of a lot of other George Fox students that came into the career offices and you had more of a sense of direction, had more of a sense of like, okay, I know that this is at least a nice first step. It might not be the forever. It might not be everything, but this is going to create opportunities for me to live into who I want to be eventually. And I think that that is different and is a little bit more unique to have that sort of intentionality. And I guess that might be a personality thing at some points, but also how do you practice that sort of intentionality? How do you you grow in that muscle for somebody who might be graduating from college. They're an emerging leader. They want to, you know, at least take the next step, but they just, they don't know where where to go or even what a first step towards that would be. You try things that are uncomfortable or outside of your comfort zone. That's what you do. Okay. That's the main that's like my main one sentence takeaway from my four years of college. So you mentioned, I mean, so our working relationship in the Idea Center, which now at the, the name has been changed. It's, uh, I think it's just Career Services now. Yes. Yeah. So the but that, career that's what the academic... Idea Center was for for listeners. We both worked. I was in graduate school, and you were a student worker and undergrad at George Fox, and uh, I worked as a career coach at the Idea Center, and you were working with some things with strength, and also as doing some career coaching stuff for for peers at the same time, right? Yeah. So. My experience with Clifton Strengths is like the biggest game changer for my whole college experience. So mm. I I am rare in the sense that I am in a field directly related to my major that I wanted, like the, like the reason I chose my major was so that I could work in the type of job I have now. <laughs> that's not, like you said, not quite the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's net, that was never because like I always, I grew up and I always knew what I wanted to do. I didn't, I have a lot of interests. I like learning. It wasn't until end of high school that I had heard about this thing called the Clifton Strengths Assessment, which by the way, is not a personality assessment. It's about innate approaches you take to life that help you do things, help you with your relationship building, help you with strategic thinking and help you with influencing people. So as people change through life, your strengths changing doesn't mean that it wasn't reliable. It's just trying to mirror the kind of second nature habits you have that if you were aware of them and could articulate them into something that's actionable could become sharpened strengths. Hence the time, hence the title of the assessment. This is a, this is a product from Gallup incorporated, you know, they do all the polls and stuff. I took the assessment before college and there is 34 potential strengths. Five of them could be at the top for you. The ones that show up the most, these things are so second nature to you. They're almost like writing your signature. The point is to focus a lot on those. Yes. You can learn kind of the other, you know, strengths that fall like mid-range and lower, the ones that really aren't that second nature to you. But that's really not the point. The point is to know what do you bring to the table and you're really good at. Let's get even better at that. Let's collab, let's have you collaborate with people that you maybe don't share similar strengths with so that you can be more effective. Things like that. And I I just love that whole philosophy because so much of 
the discussion around direction, who am I calling personality, et cetera. So much of it comes from this negative orientation of what's wrong with me? What can I fix? And yeah, yeah, I, uh, totally. I, I could, I could go, but strengths is like the antithesis of that. So that's, that's the whole philosophy. And I think that's way more effective. Yeah. And what's nice is that Clifton strengths literally has data to prove that it's effective. You know, you don't have to quote chapter and verse that it, it that it works. So, so how did you yeah. use this? Take us from like freshman year, senior year internships, and then to getting this job offer at yellow and moving over to Michigan from Oregon and just yep. all these steps. I mean, it's a gradual, it's not like a bang. You're, you're here. Already. Oh yeah. You're having to experiment, figure things out, you know, throw it on the wall, see if it sticks, uh, the mm -hmm. sort of things. Just kind of walk a listener through that process and of yeah. the risks that you took, the uncomfortable situations that you learned from. Yep. So in the assessment, there are four different domains of, you know, there's a bit, you know, a few strengths in this domain, this one, et cetera. The ones that showed up high for me were in the strategic thinking and relationship building categories. Um, that sounds like a few things, you know, but one, but on the list of those things, I thought, well, maybe business is a place where those two things matter a lot. Never would have considered that as an option for a degree of study. I sat in on some classes at the schools I was checking out for college to see what this was like. I'd meet with the academic advisors and the deans, which, you know, I highly recommend doing that kind of window shopping experience, you know, as you're 16, 17 years old and just trying something out. I ended up declaring that as my major when I eventually decided that George Fox was where I wanted to go. I gave it a test run my freshman year with a couple classes and I liked it. I never didn't like it. So I just stayed. And that's not, that was, it was really that simple, but I was, and I, and I don't always say like use strengths in a prescriptive way for how you should choose your major. I right, know. Right. But it worked out for me because I picked out something that I thought I might be interested, found out I was interested in it and then chose that. Right. So that it happened to work out that way, but it wouldn't have ever happened if I hadn't made those decisions before. So I'm using these, you know, strategic thinking, relationship building strengths, and I'm slowly getting more out of my comfort zone and doing other things. I, I worked in the cafeteria at the school. I was not very gung-ho about applying to be in like the student worker management team for that job. I was kind of shy about it. But then there was this pattern that developed with this story and with others. My mom always tells me, Grant, if it feels uncomfortable, that probably means you should do it. <laughs> That's my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I grew up very risk averse. I'm, I'm way come out of my shell mm -hmm. now, but that's still kind of my MO. So I went, I applied for it. I got it. It turned out to be a great decision. I ended up advancing more to the, the team, the shift leader, and that had some awesome meal perks. And so I was like, dang, I'm so glad <laughs> I applied for that job. Thanks, mom. But other things happened like that. I got really interested in strengths because George Fox University uses it with their entire freshman class coming in. Yeah. Now, the freshman class on the whole kind of was like, eh, what's, what's the big deal? And I'm already coming into Fox like a huge fan of it. And I, I can't tell you why, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just smart or something, but the, I, I was able to memorize the top five strengths of like a hundred of my friends. I'm not even joking. I could, I could tell you verbatim in order off the top of my head. So then I wanted to create an Excel spreadsheet 
of all my friends' strengths and then seg segment them out by like domain and frequency. And then I go to the idea center who at the time, the director, Joe Tuvano, I'm like, Hey, look what I made. And he's like, what the heck? <laughs> You're this interested in it? Do you want to work for me? <laughs> so he mm -hmm. basically offered me a job in the idea center that next year, my sophomore year, working with strengths initiatives with him at the school and trying to come up with more creative way, ways to get students to understand the significance behind it and how they could apply it. And I, my, my own story with it was, it was a good one, right? So that really drove the course of how I made academic decisions in college. And then here comes the career side. So after my freshman year, you know, I wanted to apply for an internship to get some experience in, in that summer. I mean, a lot of students don't do anything in that first summer in college. And I really think they should. I applied for like a recruiting intern job at a like corporate office for a trucking company in the greater Portland area. This was Redaway. Redaway is mm -hmm. one of the four companies that Yellow owns. So I worked for them and now I work for the parent company. So I got the role. I actually mentioned strengths in my interview and, and my boss to this day remembers that he's like, yeah, that showed me that you were like interested in like that you did things with your life and you had direction. So I, I did well in that role. There was, it was a lot of kind of repetitive monotonous work, but I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I got to do. So I, I want to do it well. And then they asked me <clears throat> the following year if I could come back because they, they liked me. And so I worked with them for a second summer and my role was a little more varied for that one, but lot, largely a lot of the same tasks. And that was great. And the, I mean, my third summer of college was right after COVID hit. So really that was, no internships were happening. Right. Although I did, I worked in like a, like a manufactured home construction warehouse for a few months. I feel like everyone should have a job like that at least once so that they know what they like and they don't like and that they can never do it so that so that they don't do it again <laughs> i mean if you like construction more power to you but man that it was nice to like have a more blue collar job and and kind of relate to the people around me where i lived in southern michigan and to be like okay like i i, I like college <laughs> i i like i like these opportunities that are getting me to other other places but now you know i i, I can say i've dipped my toe in here as well so you, you you should do a few different things yeah yeah so that was how i mean and that could that be I, yeah. on the opposite spectrum people you could try a different major and not like it but at least mm -hmm. you did it and you know that that's something that isn't for you you know in these internships it's you're not stuck in any of these things that you did during college it wasn't a decision that you're just like okay i gotta really make sure that i get this right because this is going to be forever but each small decision where you've figured out i like this no i don't like that at all this yeah. plays into my strengths then not so much like this feels a little bit more of like things that are negative that i shouldn't be focusing on as much um this is what I'm really passionate about. Let me talk about this. This gives me opportunities to talk about that more. This over here, they don't care. <laughs> this isn't my people. This isn't my community. It, that has been like throughout those four years, you just tried stuff and you, you knew that there wasn't going to be a lasting mistake. You weren't afraid of making a mistake that would you know last for the entire of your lives by doing and trying things on for a small period of time. And I think mm -hmm. that that is really something that has helped you get ahead. I don't know if ahead is the right word, but have more of that intentionality is just to experiment and to try things on 
see if it sticks, like I've said before. So, and that, I mean, led to so many other opportunities and you continue to do that right now. Maybe yellow is forever. Maybe it's not, but you know, it doesn't hurt to just take the next step right in front of you. So I just really appreciate that about you. I think that that is something that you have intentionally built up these muscles that will assist you. And, you know, if you're ever stuck in the future, you know that, okay, I can choose to just try something else mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's okay. And, and if that works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it, it doesn't work out. So one thing, Grant, that I've been asking emerging leaders that I'm having these emerging leader conversations with on this pod is in a year, if we were to check in with you, Grant, um, what would you say would be a successful year of like creating opportunities? What would you look back and say like, this was a success? Hmm. Well, related to my job slash career, being able to have a lot more knowledge about the company I work for and to have continually saying work. So just, just not staying the same, having some type of growth that that's my idea of, of success. And I, something I still need to work on is self-advocacy. So sometimes I might set the bar maybe a little lower than I could in terms of what my, what I want for mm-hmm. myself. And that's something that really I've had to teach and learn mm-hmm. myself growing up. I, there was just a lot of gaslighting I experienced in different ways growing up. And it's been a, quite a, almost robotic at times to learn that it's okay to advocate for myself. And that doing, doing that isn't like just talking BS, like you have worth. <laughs> so get out of that you know, mindset of, of, of fear and selling yourself short and strength. I mean, going back to strengths, it, it gives me vocabulary and articulation to be able to say what I bring to the table and what I don't bring to the table, being able to have that speech element throughout college and, and life now is great. And so I'm sure that any, anything that comes my my way or, or keeps going in my role will di- be a direct correlation between being able to take an opportunity and because I believe I'm worthy of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we miss them because we don't even think we can take them. Yeah. So it's you people should have I, I hope people can learn if they don't have the self-worth to make that option, you know, learn learn how to see the value you bring because you have it. That's, that was a, that was a thing uh, I didn't learn, you know, growing up, but it, it's something I've, I've jumped leaps and bounds since high school, mm-hmm. leaps and bounds, you know, by God's grace through my experience with college and work. And another marker of success in a year is if I can get my town ball team up, up and running. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about town ball a little bit. Oh yeah. No, now we're, <laughs> now we're going to segue to my, major passion project, major passion project. So once upon a time, baseball was not just one thing. It was many things. In the late 19th century, you had different styles of play from between Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. There wasn't a national version yet. What we have today comes from the New York style. The New Yorkers won out. They had better marketing, better athletes, there was a mathematical perfection to the diamond that 
was kind of appealing in its own right that these other styles of play didn't possess. The Massachusetts version was a square and maybe it had some merit, but apparently people were like, eh, we like the diamond better. Long story short, um, town ball is something I came across at, during my time in college and I where I met my now business partner and one of my best friends, Daniel Jones. He's a middle-aged math teacher at a classical school with eight children. So get that picture in your head. 10 years ago, he used to live in central California and he was a baseball fan growing up. It kind of lost interest. Just the way that the MLB had changed over the years, the over-commercialization, the steroid use, the spirit of the game had kind of dissipated. It wasn't what it was 50, 60 years ago. He also was a cricket fan and there's a large Indian population in central California uh -huh. and at the school he was teaching. So he had been running a cricket league for a while to that point. It was going great, but his boss was like, Hey, we need another sport later in the year. Within a two week period in January, he had a winter elective called the origins of the American pastime where he and his students looked up some of these late 19th century bat and ball games that never made it. One of them being this Massachusetts version. I mean, it was literally the runner up, version to become the national pastime it almost became that but it didn't and no one's really touched it ever since they liked it so much but they realized that it was never fully developed and they wanted to tweak a couple things so town ball is essentially massachusetts plus it's this like augmented version of that style the main differences between town ball and modern day baseball are that town ball has five bases you can steal first base without hitting the ball. It's only 42 feet to first base. That's less than half the distance than in baseball. There's only one out per inning, just one. Now let's see. There's no foul ball territory anywhere, like in cricket. We kind of stole mm -hmm. that from cricket. Yeah, yeah. That That is so freeing. It, that's one of my favorite aspects of, of the game because people who aren't amazing at hitting or running, just bunt it behind you and to the left and you probably can get a double easy. It's only 42 feet to first, 68 feet to second. 110 feet to third, 110 to fourth, and 110 feet to fifth. That's 440 feet to get one run, which sounds impossible with only one out. But you can steal these bases anytime you want because the ball is always live. So it it's it's the funnest thing I've ever experienced. And we've had a lot of success in the last couple of years. So I, I encountered this when he brought it with him to Newburgh after he and his former students in California had played five organized seasons of this in the mid 2010s. I brought this to my alma mater, George Fox, and now there's kind of a community of alumni and others. Shout out to Ethan Wooded and Ben Drury, who have kind of really enjoyed the game. Now we have some teams going out there. And I started a club here at the college in the town I live in. My brother and my sister-in-law go to it right now. I just can't get it out of my life. It's kind of addictive in some ways, but there's a large interest in vintage baseball, particularly in the Midwest. Since the 1980s, I would say roughly 50 to 60% of vintage baseball teams in the country are from just this Rust Belt area, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania. So this is, this is a market that we've played this game with. Again, this, this is a game they've never played, but 80% of our style of play is historically has a precedent from this Massachusetts style. So we can kind of call ourselves vintage, even though this is a brand new game and they love it. And I mean, everyone who's played it has had either a neutral or positive reaction to it. And the lion's share has been positive. We have a website, 21 
ctownball.com. It's two one letter C townball.com. We have products now. We have proprietary balls. We have our own physical strike zone that my high school best friend Chris Poole welded himself. He's a welder. This is a game that if it had enough publicity and financial backing could go a long way, but we're not quite at that point yet. We could use we could use some more volunteer work because we can't we can't pay anybody yet because we're only just now making money so if you want to learn what this is about just contact me later but we yeah. have some stuff on youtube and instagram it's one of the funnest what are those like uh, so 21c townball.com youtube channel other things like yep. that 21st century Townball is the youtube two one at 21c Townball is the instagram we have other instagram videos for the club i started at the college in my town that's at Townball dot hillsdale underscore college we're gonna we had our first tournament in california this last summer we had six teams one from oregon and five from california i was on the the newberg quakers <laughs> <laughs> george fox is originally a quaker school and we actually were undefeated we, we we won all of our games so it was it was really fun we had old jerseys that we made we got the look down we played at golden gate park in san francisco That's we cool. played in fresno it's it's one of those things where you can just hop in and try it out and you don't have to be an amazing athlete because another thing that's cool is you can shuffle the batting order every cycle. So you can have more control over who you need to go up at bat based on the skill level of your players that are running the bases. So it, it, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. If I can a listener on, is but... wanting to to learn more about that, they can, they can at 21 C town balls, the, the base hub. Mm -hmm. anything if anybody wants to contact you specifically any yeah. mentionables or, or things like that how would somebody get in contact with you if they're interested in learning more yeah so those websites i mentioned uh, we have an email account that's just two one letter c townball at gmail.com that okay. would be the best place to directly hit us up awesome so. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, we could probably have you do a, an entire episode on town ball or you need to start your own town ball a podcast that that might not be a bad idea at all. Yeah, uh, my friend Ethan just started a MailChimp for us. So we're actually going to have better looking emails. And we do want to have some like more semi-regular content that comes out and more like a newsletter fashion because we have enough footage and enough players now that we have a lot of stories we can tell and create some lore around the sport. So that's for awesome. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have to check in and see how things are going and everything. But yeah, thanks so much for, for talking a little bit about your own experience of being an emerging leader. I, I mean, that's at least what I'll, I'll call you, Grant. I, I think you. that I I just love your intentionality and that you're just continually trying to, you know, learn, figure out what's next. And but you're very faithful to whatever is right in front of you right now. So excited to see where you go. So, and listener, I hope you enjoyed listening to Grant and that you had some things that you feel like, okay, that sounds like me. You know, we're not all having this whole life thing figured out. <laughs> Creating opportunities, it's an experimental thing. You try as you go. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it doesn't. You're going to learn what you value, what you care about, what your strengths are. That takes a time and it's a process that we're not just going to arrive right now. But if we continue to have conversations like this, I think that it will help one another to arrive there sooner. So and join us next time. We're going to continue to talk to you emerging leaders as we help you gain more opportunities and get unstuck wherever you are feeling stuck. Do you want to help more people 
receive more opportunities? Well, don't forget to take my podcast listener survey. The link is in the show notes. It'll just take two minutes of your time. And with your feedback, I can create content that's going to help you reach your personal and professional goals. So please don't miss out on this opportunity. Go to the show notes and take the podcast listener survey. Just two minutes of your time. Thank you. Hey, see you next time. We're going to continue to help emerging leaders get unstuck so that they can create opportunities.